You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm very excited to introduce you to Donna Hayes. Donna is a SAG-AFTRA actress and a cabaret singer who can be found on a stage or in front of a camera, and she's been featured on The Dr. Oz Show, Orange is the New Black, Black Girls Rock, Celebrity Ghost Stories, which is definitely something I want to talk about, <laughs> as well as several other New York City off-Broadway and TV productions. She joins me today on Uncorking a Story to discuss her memoir, These Broken Roads, Scammed and Vindicated One Woman's Story. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Donna. Great. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to our chat. Oh, I lo I'm looking. I've been looking forward to this all week, uh, Donna. Great. Um, I always start uh, at the same place with with all of my guests, which is mm -hmm. where does your story as an author begin? OK, so I think my story as an author began in 2016, thereabout. And I've always been a big journaler. I love to journal and get my thoughts down and then look back you know, a year later and see what my thought process was at that point. But um, after two divorces ending and the last marriage was, you know, unfortunately heavily fraught with, heavily fraught with uh, domestic abuse, I like rebooted my life, if you will. And um, I took eight years just to self-care. I completed, I don't like to say run, but I completed the New York City Marathon. Um, it, 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 in 2014 and, you know, started performing and just taking care of myself. And then the first time I tried to get into a relationship, I was scammed out of all $177,000 in a real estate scam with someone who I was in a relationship with for 18 months. And at that time, I started journaling. You know, I started journaling even more because there was so much swirling around in me. And it was, I, I was, I had pages and pages and pages of notes that I decided to join a writing class. And I think initially the plan was to write something that exposed him and folks like him. But as I started writing, I noticed that it became less and less about the scam itself and more about me and how I was showing up in my life. And and then, you know, within the writing class, I had a really uh, a safe and supportive space 
to share my story and people accepted it so much. Um, also, there was this element of shame, if you will, that I felt at that time. And then I decided, I remember one day saying, well, I didn't do anything wrong to be ashamed of. I did. So I started talking and I met so many other people who were, who had experienced something similar. Because when you think of a romance scam, you think of someone um, becoming um, a, a scam victim, if you will, to someone, this online fraudster who's sitting behind a screen in some faraway land. You've never seen him. You probably never will see him um, because this person just wants to get your money. And my situation was so unique that I knew him very closely. So I started talking and then I met other women who have had similar situations. And what was the common thread in these discussions was shame, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And I said, you know what? I am going to talk about it. And then I went ahead and started uh, writing the book. And, it, you know, I had to do a lot of pivoting and, and changing and shifting because it became more about me, but at the same time telling my story about what happened to me. And that's how it came about. I took a writing class. Wow. So you see what I really love about this. I mean, there's a lot not to like about the story, which, of course, is you being scammed. Yeah. Um, but what I love about the story is you turning to writing as a way to help process this experience. And cool. even though the intention at first sounds like it was, I want to expose this villain for doing yes. what he did. Yes. But along the journey, you realize that this isn't a story about him. Yeah, this is really your story, story. about me. It's really a, the story about me. And you know, as as I started writing, initially the focus was like, okay, in, in, I met him in 2016, and we had this wonderful relationship. He practically moved into my apartment, and you know, and then I was buying this house, and he stole all this money. But as I'm writing, my childhood is coming into play, feeling abandoned in Jamaica, coming to the U.S. and feeling bullied, and you know. Just feeling, I had instilled in me this idea that everyone else was the source of my happiness. And I, it, so many things came out that I gave up my power because I, I was still, professionally, I was soaring, right? I had a managing director role on Wall Street. On the surface, it looked great, but I was still this little girl who was struggling. And, you know, as I was writing, all of that just started seeping into the story. And that's how my memoir came to life. Yeah, I mean, writing really is a form of therapy. It's cathartic. Um, it's called it, cathartic experience. Yeah, and it, and it forces you to kind of go through these experiences that you don't necessarily want to go through again, but it helped you find the through line to to your life. Uh, yes. You know, you, you mentioned growing up in Jamaica and feeling abandoned. Can you just share a little bit more uh, about what your early life experiences were like? Sure. I was raised by my grandmother. I moved to the U.S. when I was 14, but the first 14 years of my life, I just remember pining for my parents. I wanted, I didn't know who my dad was. I didn't really remember my mom. And as a five-year-old little girl, I used to literally pray to their pictures every night because I, in my five-year-old mind, I didn't know they had met me. And so I would tell them who I am. There's even a, a letter, an actual picture of the letter in the book that I wrote to my mom at five, introducing myself. So we were not rich. We had no electricity. 
we had no in- indoor plumbing. Um, you know, we had lots of animals. And I remember the farm, like co- goats and pigs and cows and what have you. But just being, we didn't have much. And during the day before I was of school age, my grandparents, my grandmother and my step-grandfather would go to the market. And I would be left by myself to just roam. I just remember roaming and walking the yard with the dogs and finding lizards and bees and doing all these things. But there was just such a loneliness. And what that, the message that that sent to me was that I, because my two sisters were here in the state, you know, and I always said, why not me? So I, I, that kind of seeped into my life where I felt I had to do extra to feel worthy. And that just followed me. It just, I just always had that feeling of feeling unworthy, feeling lonely, feeling isolated. And then I moved to the, to the, to the States when I was 14. Yeah. What, what eventually brought you to the States? My mom, my mom at 14, you know, decided for whatever reason to bring me to the States at when I was 14 years old. Okay. So, I mean, those feelings of abandonment, you know, they, they, they're rooted in in early childhood experience. Yes. But they, they do show up in adulthood, don't they? You they know, do. they really do. I mean, our minds are this constant conveyor belts of thoughts, you know, some unpleasant. And, you know, I was always thinking, I, I kept thinking, what do I have to do extra? And then I, I, I moved to the state and I was bullied mercilessly through high school almost every day. I was new to the country, had this heavy accent, had the worst acne, and I was just terrorized. Then we were immersed in this church where everything was prohibited. So what a a normal teenager could do, I couldn't. So from age 14 to 21, couldn't watch television, never been to the movies, um, didn't go to my own prom, we couldn't play sports, we couldn't do anything outside of church. So when I finally got married, I actually ran away and got married. I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I've never dated. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to, what to um, expect. So I was still this little girl and the people who are, have, or, you know, have predatorial tendencies, they can sense that. Yeah. And that, that, that is kind of that common thread that followed me throughout. Wow. Well, yeah, that combined with feelings of abandonment, of course, you probably want to, you know, protect that relationship, even if it's not healthy for you. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And the way I would describe it, Sarah, to, to people like when I've done talks or even in the book, I felt that I should just settle for maybe a slice, but I'll settle for crumbs. I wasn't, I wasn't entitled or wasn't worthy of the full loaf, if you will. Yeah. And so I just showed up in my life in a very diminished way. So when you saw me in boardrooms or on stage or performing, you see this person who appears to have it all together. But inside there was this little girl still struggling. And then when I met this guy, he was a predator and he picked up on that and he just groomed me for 18 months until I had to now do the work and go into therapy and find my way back. Yeah, because you're playing a a character in your own life. Yeah. You know, this person in in the boardroom, this person on stage. Yeah, that's so good. And so that, you know, that is really kind of what happened. and. It is, um, it is so interesting when you, when you think back about your life 
and what you've been through and how you've lived your life, even as from a child throughout. And sometimes it, you're not even aware of how certain traumas, uh, how you're connecting traumas to choices. And, and I think if, if you know, the, the one, my main message here is, you know, learning how to connect traumas to choices. I mean, as I said, although the impetus for writing the book was being scammed, the main message here is that I think had I had this loving relationship with my parents where I felt worthy and where I felt loved, maybe I didn't, wouldn't feel the need to kind of run away and get married to find, as I said, crumbs of love, if you will. So it's, it's, it, just writing this whole book was just a wonderful experience. Not what I thought it would be. I thought, okay, I'm just going to write a book and tell the story, but it just, it was very cathartic, cathartic, and it was very freeing. Yeah. So when, when you started writing it, and again, I know it was, the intention was different than what the outcome actually was. You mentioned um, a a writing class or a writing group. I'm just curious, how important was that for you going through the writing process? You know, when I first took the class, it was a, 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 a mix of uncertainty. Um, I was very curious. I didn't really know what to expect, um, but I wanted to try it. And I entered this class and I met all these other individuals from all walks of life. And we all have a story, right? We all have a story. And it was, it, it was just so interesting because what we would do, we would submit a chapter each week. And then when it was our turn to be reviewed, we'd go into like an invisible booth, if you will. So people would go around and talk about our work, but you weren't allowed to speak because you were in this invisible booth. So I would just sit and observe and listen to what people had to say. And it was, it was such a supportive and safe space. And the critiques and the feedback, you know, very, very, very important. But what was, in, what was helpful for me was to see how my story resonated with others and others within that class. Some people may have had abusive situations or some people may have had the sense of abandonment or, you know, other, other stories and how that my story resonated with them. They were like, you have to tell your story. And that within itself was just so encouraging. At the end of each class, at the end of each session, when it was eight weeks or 12 weeks, whatever it was, our instructor would have us write on these colorful cards to each other, write notes to each other. And, you know, people wrote notes to me saying how much my story inspired. And I, and I still have those little cards. When I was writing this book, I had them all around me. And, you know, saying, you know, I, I hope that your work is published so that your grace, humanity, strength and wisdom can help others. And although I didn't go in there thinking, I thought, I, you know, I was I thought I was going to go in and write and someone's going to say, you stuck as a writer. What, you know, I didn't I really didn't know what to expect, but I got this. People were so responsive to my story and how I wrote. And they they felt that, you know, it really helped them and they felt encouraged and inspired by my story from where I came from and how I was able to um, move through my life despite all the traumas. And I said, yeah, then I'm going for it. And then I started um, querying to, to um, literary agents. Yeah. I imagine your, your query process. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to make an assumption here, mm-hmm. but because your story is so powerful, I imagine it got picked up pretty quickly. 
No. <laughs> See, this is why I should never assume anything. Oh, no, because I, I started querying. And as part of the writing class, as part of the writing class, we were prepared. We were taught how to query, how to put together book proposals and things of that nature. And I would send out my query letters. Some wanted the full manuscript, some wanted just chapters. And they would come back so close, they would say, yeah, this is really good. Let me come back to you. Or I ha we have something like that already in our arsenal. And I'm like, probably not, but okay. And, you know, went on and on and on and on. And at one point I decided, you know, I'm just going to self-publish. I says, you know what? I want my book. I'm just going to self-publish. And as I'm going through that process, someone mentioned the publisher that I now use, that, that that signed me on, Sibylline Press, and they only publish the works of women authors over 50. And I'm, and I'm 61. And I was like, yes. And they, you know, I started speaking with them and, I, you know, they really honored my story and it's just been an amazing experience. So no, it was a challenge for a good year and a half where I thought, you know, a publisher wouldn't pick me up. Yeah. Wow. So there, you know, so I, you know, it's right before I joined this interview, um, I was, I was finishing up a query letter <laughs> that I was okay. um, something new uh, right now. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm just, just listening to the passion in which you are, you know, talking about this story. I'm thinking, my goodness, if, if that came through in the letter, I can't imagine an agent not just jumping at that um, opportunity. Yeah. We would, we would come really close and then and I expected it to be um, competitive and challenging, but, you know, after, and I kept, I, then I would write essays. I would just chip out and I would submit essays and I would, and I would try to, you know, draw a parallel to kind of what was going on. Cause you know, you had the Tindler swindler and you had all these other scam stories and everyone responded. I mean, it was huge response to that. People were very interested in that story and other stories um, there, there's another one on Netflix and they, the name escapes me right now. So I, I would try to draw in my proposal, you know, why this is current, why this is relevant. And it would come very close, but not until, and I'm, and, and print I'd been 2020. I'm glad they didn't, you know, I'm glad I ended up where I ended. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you, you wound up at the perfect spot. Absolutely. For you. How did you come up with that that sort of main title, These Broken Roads? What's what's the backstory to that? Sure. So the the initial the initial title was Last Run Along These Broken Roads. That was my initial title. Because if you read the book, you'll see that I ran from everything. I ran from my mother, I ran from the first husband, and I ran from the second husband. And I wanted to say, I'm standing my ground now, last run along these broken roads. And the broken road is just symbolic of just my journey. You know, when, you, when you're on a road, they're cracked. You know, you may fall and you may stumble, but you get back up. So I wanted to kind of show just that movement through my life. But, you know, once we started going through the process, they wanted really to capture the fact that the impetus for this book was the scam. So it became just these broken roads, scammed and vindicated one woman's story. Yeah. You know, you mentioned running from your mother, marriages. You also ran a marathon. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I am I am the type of individual that, you know, okay, how hard can that be? I'm gonna write a book. How hard can I'm gonna run a marathon and hard can that be? And I was, I don't know, maybe that's I was, I don't know, fifty two, fifty three at that time, um, when I joined a running class. 
New York, um, New York Roadrunners. And I hadn't ran since I was in Jamaica. And uh, I remember my first class. It was winter and there was ice on the ground. And I'm like, so are we still running? This is, yes, as runners, you know, and no matter what the weather is, we're going to run. And we were in Central Park and I was really looking for an exit. Like, how do I get out of here? There's no way I'm running on ice. But I couldn't find the exit because I'm directionally challenged. So I stayed and I'm really glad. And um, completing the marathon was just, it was daunting. It was in 2014. It was very, very cold. Started on this, of course, on the Verizona Bridge. And we were trying to go straight and the wind was blowing us in a different direction. It took me almost six and a half hours to complete it. I always uh, tell the joke when I do my cabaret shows that the, the, the very fast African runners, when I crossed the finish line, they were back in Africa. That's, that's just my joke that I like to say. They were <laughs> they're back in Africa having their meals. But it was such a, it was such, because I didn't think I could do that. 26.2 miles is, 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 is really tough. But I met so many other people, formed a community of runners. And it's just one thing for me to say, yeah, I did it. And can I just tell you, while we were running, we were in Harlem and we were, it was dark by now because, you know, we're the scabs. Everybody else is home. We're just, you know. And there was this woman standing in the shadows and I'm in the back. And as I'm getting closer, everyone that would run past us, she would say, thank you. Thank you. And I thought that was just an odd thing to say. And so when I got close to her, I says, you're welcome, but what are you thanking everyone for? She, and she was a big woman. She said, for inspiring me, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the, you know. So that, that was just, just, such a, just such a beautiful experience. And, and just to run across the finish line and for someone to hand me a medal and say, you just completed a marathon. That was during my re- rebooting time when yeah. I was saying, okay, I'm going to take care of this. But, but of course, I need to draw a, a parallel here. Okay. Because you joined a community to help, you know, you get through this run, to train yeah. for this run, if you will. Yes. You, you join a community to help you write this book. Correct. And there are parallels between running a marathon and writing a book. Because to yep. run a marathon, you can't just go and run a marathon. You've got nope. to train for yep. it. Yep. Yep. You've got to chip away at that goal every single day yep. to yep. write a book. You've got to yeah, chip absolutely. away at that goal every single day. How, do you ever draw that comparison between? I did. And, and in the book, I, I, I talk about um, kind of running the marathon. Yeah, I, I think I do draw parallels because initially they both seemed incredibly daunting. Is this something that I, that, I can, that I can do? And there were good days where I had great runs when I did lowers. And there were days where I'm like, what are you doing? And it was very similar with writing the book. You know, there were days when, okay, everything just flowed. There are other days I'm like, this is too emotional. I can't do this. Can I do this? And so kind of just chipping away, chipping away till I got to a particular comfort level. I do. I, I really do. And crossing the finish line was this, you know, very triumphant feeling. And getting become a published author on October 3rd was also a very triumphant feeling. But it was definitely a journey um, where you had to shift and be flexible and pivot and change what had you. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I love I love that sort of the running as a metaphor for, for writing a book. I think that there's so much overlap there. You know, as I listen to you tell your story and I and I and I, of course, read your accomplishments in the in our intro. You know, I think 
so oftentimes we see people who are successful and, you know, sometimes we resent them for it, you mm -hmm. know, and sometimes we question, well, how, what do they, you know, celebrities, what, what do they have to complain about? But the fact of the matter is we can't see what's on the inside of somebody and we can't see the struggle that they've had. And, you know, one of the other outcomes I think of your story for me personally, anyway, is just as a reminder that you don't know what somebody's been through. Correct. Correct. And to, and to always treat people with sort of kindness and some kind of empathy. I, abs I, I wholeheartedly agree with you because keep in mind, we all wear a mask. Every single one of us, whether it, it's our clothing, our makeup, our house, our car, we all wear a mask and we want to project this image that we think we should project based on societal expectations or family expectations, what have you. But if we just strip away at all the layers, we're all just little boys and girls trying to find our way through this life. And I believe I don't treat, I treat the doorman, I treat the delivery person, I treat, I don't care who it is. We're all human beings on this journey trying to find our way. And I and anyone will tell you that when I left my last place of employment, the security girls all pulled me to the side. You're the one person that always made us feel seen. Because I would mm -hmm. come in, I'd make a hip, make a big to-do. How were you? How was your weekend? How's the family? Because I think no matter what your station is in life, we're all just human beings, little boys and girls trying to find our way. In, in big, I, let, I cannot call it um, little boys and girls in big people clothing, trying to find right. our way. Oh, God, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Donna, where can people buy these broken roads? These broken roads available wherever uh, books are sold. Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, um, Target, wherever. It's, it's available all, all over the place. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. Um, you know, I re just realized that there's one thing I, I need to ask you about, sure. which is which is celebrity ghost stories. Because <laughs> I, I, I can't let that go. Um, yeah. What's the story behind celebrity ghost stories? Yeah. So I, I, I auditioned and I, I was both thrilled to book it. Um, I did the story of Lisa, 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 Lisa and Cult Jam. Do oh, you sure. know that? Oh, of that course. Artist? So it was her story. And we shot it in a in, in Harlem and it was a place that used to be a convent and it was very creepy. It's a very creepy, it, it really worked. And her story was, I played a medium and her story is she, there were uh, twin girls who she grew up with and they just then d disappeared. There were her neighbors in the building and they just disappeared. And after they disappeared each night, she would feel as if someone's choking her. And she was like um, choking on water and she would smell dirty water and she'd wake up and, and the next night it would happen again. Long story short, one of the girls was murdered and found in a, in a body of water. And it was just such an interesting, interesting project. And I played the medium because the mother felt that this, her daughter now could see ghosts because one of the sisters would actually visit her at night. And it was, it was really, really interesting. And I, I played a medium. It was a really good part. I loved it. Well, I, I, I got lost in emotion during that story. There was, <laughs> yeah, it's, Lisa, a, it's available yeah. on Netflix, actually. You can just type in Lisa, Lisa, 
um, celebrity ghost stories. No, I didn't know. I didn't know if you were the celebrity and had a ghost story of your own. No, you... no, no, no. I'm I'm not a celebrity. Um, but I played a medium. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an actress. I played uh, an actress. I mean, I'm a medium in the in the in the show. Fair enough. Well, Donna, uh, this this has been a fun conversation. Uh, I'm assuming you've got social media or a website that uh, you I can share with our audience. I do. Absolutely. People can find me at dollar-haze.com. That is my my website. And I may, may, may also add that after this incident, this happened to me, um, I started a life coaching practice. So I'm also a certified life coach through ICF, and that's distinguishedcoaching.com. And I'm on, I'm on um, Instagram. I am Donna underscore Hayes or Donna Hayes on Facebook and LinkedIn Donna Hayes. I'm still trying to find my way through the TikToks and the other stuff. Well, you and me both. I'm trying. <laughs> it's so much. It's like, wow. Yeah. So I'm definitely, um, they can find me on social media. Very good. I will put all of those links in our show notes so people can easily sure. find you. Uh, Donna, thank you so much for stopping by and corking a story and letting me uncork yours. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.